I feel like that I have a word from the Lord for all of you this morning. First Kings chapter 2, and we begin reading in verse 1. First Kings chapter 2, and reading uh, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. I want to speak this morning on this subject, the birth of freedom, the birth of freedom. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, we're thankful to be in your house today and thankful for your word, thankful for your presence that we feel. Illuminate our hearts and minds to receive your word and give us the courage to respond we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We celebrate the freedom of America on a regular basis, but this weekend especially. And I want to say that we are thankful for America. We're thankful that we live in this great land. And if you're ever in doubt of that, just travel with me to some of the third world countries that we go to, and you'll be thankful. We live in a land of tremendous freedom. And sometimes that freedom is messy and uncomfortable, but we're grateful. We're grateful. And we should always have a spirit of appreciation for the freedom that America enjoys. And the irony, the interesting aspect of the culture that we're in now is the freedoms that we enjoy are some of the contributing factors that has made us so difficult to control this, this uh, COVID-19 virus. Because of all of the freedoms that we have, it's difficult uh, to restrict it and confine it. But we are thankful for the freedoms that we have in America, and we celebrate them. And we, we're reminded today that freedom is not free. Freedom is not free. It always comes with a price. And that price is both in the natural and in the spiritual. In the natural, we have many people, and I'm sure you have friends and family members that have paid for that freedom with their service in the armed forces. Many of them have served, and, and they still have the scars of that service, broken hearts and broken bones and broken lives. And we are thankful for them, and we will never forget. Freedom requires a price to be paid on a continual basis. And we see that all around us in the natural and in the spiritual. Paul said, I die daily. The sacrifice was not a one-time experience. It was continual. But for the sake of today's discussion, let's start with just how freedom is born. Because that in itself is not always an easy concept to get our minds around. The freedom that we enjoy in America was born first in the hearts of people who, who wanted religious freedom and then on the battlefield of spilled blood. This freedom that we celebrate this weekend was born in the midst of death. The will of a revolutionary army of 
ragtag soldiers became more resolved with every bayonet that was thrust through a red coat. Because the birth of freedom is the shed blood of humanity. In the text that we read, it, it tells us about the end of David's life, and there's that phrase that has always sort of struck me in a peculiar way, the phrase that just simply says about David that he should die. And I understand what the verse is saying. He was getting old. His days were limited. But why should he die? didn't say he had to die. He was old. It said the days came that he should die. Now, this was a time when Israel had, had finally risen to the place that, that God had intended. He loved David, and under David's reign, Israel was enjoying peace and, and prosperity. So why should he die? God is God. Why couldn't God just give David three times the life of a normal human? As I pondered that question some years ago, it seemed the, the answer that the Lord put in my spirit was simply because God had even greater things for Israel. And every death is a door to greater freedom. Let me say that again so you make sure you get that. Every death is a door to greater freedom. Let's talk about that for just a moment. I was having uh, dinner with some friends recently, and we were talking about struggles of life, and my friend made this observation. Every door that God closes is simply for the purpose of opening a greater door with greater blessings. Sometimes we fret over doors that have closed, not realizing that that door had to close so a greater door could open. I heard a story years ago, and I think it so illustrates this point. It was about a, a couple that had gotten married. They were on their honeymoon, and they had uh, they had arranged to have a big room, a big suite overlooking a lake, king-size bed, and rose petals and chocolates and flowers and everything. And so the wedding uh, ceremony had gone all day. They were tired. They had their luggage. They went to the resort, checked in. It was late at night. The desk clerk gave them the room key. They went had to walk down here and down there and around there and all that and got their bags. In. And they got, when they got in the room, they were very disappointed because it was just a little small room. And they were like, this is not what we reserved. It was just like a couch with a pullout. And, and it didn't, it was like hard. It was, it was just really small. And, and uh, the groom was upset. He said, I, I reserved a big suite and we had all these. And uh, they were just so tired. On it. And, and, and his wife was just like, well, we'll, we'll figure it out. Let's just, let's just get some sleep. So they pulled out that pulled out couch and slept on thing. Well, the next morning, uh, the groom, he, he was still, he had gotten rested, and now he was ready to fight. And boy, he got up the next morning, and he went down to that desk clerk, and he said, I want to say something. He said, I just got married. Last night was our honeymoon night, and I had reserved a big suite, and y'all put me in a little old, tiny room. And, and the desk clerk was like, what room are you in? He's like, you know, 328 or whatever. And he said, it's just a little room, and it's just got a couch and all that, and it's got a, a little uh, walk-in closet or something there, I guess. His closet door was there, and, and, the, and the clerk stopped him. He said, what room did you say you were in? He said, 328. He said, did you say there was a closet door? He said, yes. He said, we were so tired that we just dropped our luggage. We didn't even put the luggage in the closet. He said, you may want to go back and open that closet door. 
He's like, why? What do I care about the closet? It's not the room we reserved. And the guy said, you only saw a portion of the room. That closet door is not a closet. And the guy's like, you got to be kidding me. So he goes back to the room, goes in there. His wife's still asleep. He goes over with what he thought was a closet, and he opens the door. And when he does, the light comes rushing in through the big glass window overlooking a lake, and he walks into a palace. King-sized bed and rose petals and chocolate-covered strawberries and roses and and he comes back, he goes, honey, you got to see this. She gets up and walks in there, and they both just stand there looking, and they can't believe it. They thought it was just a dead-end door. But little did they know what was waiting on the other side of the door. All they had to do was open it. Folks, God has so many things for us that we just assume is a dead-end door but if you'll just open it, I said, if you'll just open it, you'll see that God has got blessings for you that you cannot imagine. But you don't know until you open the door. We understand that certain doors in our life, we understand that, that death is a door. And it is a door that, that has to close for the bigger door of eternity to open. We're not really going to understand eternity while we're in this natural life. But could it be that there are some things, there are some doors in our life that for us to truly experience the freedom that God wants to give us, those doors have to shut so that God can reveal something greater something grander, something bigger, something more spectacular. Jesus was trying to teach his followers this as, as he approached Calvary. And he says in John chapter 12, and we begin, uh, we begin our reading in verse 23, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, that verse, the fact that he uses the word glorified shows me that he was looking beyond the crucifixion. Because there wasn't anything glorious about a human crucifixion. But it doesn't say that the Son of Man should be persecuted or tortured or executed. Jesus says that the Son of Man should be glorified. Sometimes you've got to look beyond just what your flesh is seeing. And you've got to realize this may be for the purposes that God would be glorified. So he's trying to tell them about what's coming. But then he uses that to sort of jumpstart this teaching principle. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. This was, this was confusing, I'm sure, to them. Verse 26, if any man serve me, let him follow me. 
and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. He's trying to tell him that blessing is going to come in the midst of suffering. Freedom is going to come from death. That was hard because all they had was a natural reference to look to. But he was trying to tell them that Calvary is a door. And it's a door that's going to lead to everlasting life. It's a door that's going to lead to forgiveness. And so the blood that was shed on on that hill called Golgotha was a door that opened. And it was a door that opened that gave us forgiveness of sins. That's why when the priest, at the very moment that Jesus, the Bible says, gave up the ghost or his spirit departed from him, and he was hanging on that cross, the very moment that that life departed from the man, from the body, that the priest that was in the temple, they had that big veil, you know, that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. As soon as... Jesus gives up that spirit and it departs out of his life. That veil, that door that closed off the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle, which was in the wilderness and at this point was the temple in Jerusalem, that opened wide automatically. It wasn't like they had to have a ceremony after the death and somebody had to come and tear it. It wasn't any of that. It was just simply automatic that when this door shut, boom, this door opened. And from that day forward, even to right here on July 5th, 2020, here we are, and that door is still open so that man, woman, boy, or girl, regardless of where you're from, what your nationality is, regardless of who you are or your parents were, you can come boldly and freely into the presence. Oh, we ought to take a moment and just thank God for that door that was open uh, because we come to the house of God and we feel his presence and we feel his spirit. Uh, I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you that we can come into your presence. So this door opens and it opens for you and I. It opens to all of humanity that we can be free from sin. I don't know, some of you may be more aware of this than I am, but probably being a minister and traveling and working with churches and districts, I'm probably living in somewhat of a bubble. I'll be the first to admit that. But every once in a while, my bubble is burst, busted, as it was this week, and I was working with my boys in these fireworks tents. And I get to see people on a daily basis that are just living life without God. And it's painful. Because people are not living with freedom. The weight of sin is excruciating. And to be in those fireworks tents and watch people come in and all that they're dealing with and all of the weight and all of the pain 
pain and all of the scars. All of, you only have to have a 30-second conversation and you can tell that they are heavy laden with wrong choices and decisions and it's crushing them. And yet here we are. We know what it is to have access into the throne room of grace. We know what it is to sit in heavenly places. We know what it is to have the weight of sin lifted out of our lives. And so we just say today, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the freedom that you've given the church. Freedom to lift our voice. Freedom to lift our hands. Freedom to live above sin. Oh, you ought to do more than that. If you're really thankful, you ought to lift your voice and you ought to thank the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the freedom. I thank you for the freedom that you have given us. Thank you, Jesus. That freedom was born in death. In the first few months and even years of Solomon's reign as king, before he had his, his visitation from the Lord and was promised great wisdom and riches, before he could build the tabernacle that was to house the Ark of the Covenant, there were three people that he killed. And I hope you understand that I don't want you to take this literally and say the only way I'm going to be free spiritually is to go and kill Uncle Ed. If, if you do that, they're going to lock me up for hate speech and they're going to send you to prison for the rest of your life. So please understand that I'm trying to teach a principle. Everybody got it? We shouldn't have to explain that, but nowadays you have to explain everything. So David warns his son, and I'm going to illustrate this so that it'll all make sense. So just stay with me. He warns his son about a couple of these people before he dies. And he says, now, Solomon, you're, you're going to have to be strong enough to deal with these people. And if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to follow the principles of God. You've got to walk in his precepts. You're going to have to, according to the law of Moses, you've got to keep his commandments. And there's some things that's got to die. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but let me tell you, I've had this experience. Whenever you're on a plane and you're getting ready to take off, and agents come on the plane. And go down the aisle and open up overhead bins and take luggage off the plane along with some other individuals. And we're all sitting there like, and here comes these people leaving the airplane and these agents with bags. And they all leave and we all sit there. And finally the pilot says, we're now free for takeoff. Now, I don't know who those people were. I don't know what they had in their bags. 
But can I tell you, I was glad they were gone. (laughs) Because before we're going to have the freedom of a peaceful flight, some things have got to be removed. Trying to tell you that God's got some freedoms for you, but you're carrying around a bunch of luggage. You got a bunch of stuff. You're carrying spirits and attitudes. And until they die, you're not going to experience what God is trying to do. I don't know about you, but I want something more than fireworks and apple pie and a few sparklers. I want to be able to live my life and raise my family under the freedom of the power of God's presence. Before the promises of God could be fulfilled and the prosperity of the kingdom accomplished, David was saying to Solomon, some things that got to die. Now, the first one to go was Adonijah. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 13. Adonijah, the, the, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, comest thou peaceably? He, this guy was a troublemaker. And he said, peaceably. And he said, moreover, I have something somewhat to say unto thee and she said say on and he said thou knowest that the kingdom was mine and that all of Israel set their faces on me that I should reign you can tell with just a few words coming out of his mouth that we got trouble how be it the kingdom is turned about and has become my brother's Solomon was his half-brother, same father, David, different mothers. For it was his from the Lord. The people wanted me. But God chose your little brat. I don't think the Bible actually says a little brat. But the Lord chose Solomon. So he's mad at God too. People chose me. I was the popular choice. Verse 16, and now... I ask one petition of thee. So he lays that as a groundwork because he's wanting to say, I got something I want. And this, you ought to, this is the least that y'all could do for me because of the other. That's why he introduces and starts with all of that. So then he says to her, I, I've got this petition. He says, and deny me not. And she said unto him, say on. And he said, speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay. He's not going to tell you no. That he give me Abishag, the Shunammite to wife. He wants to marry somebody named Abishad. I don't know Abishad. She may have been a beautiful lady, but it's hard for me to get a mental picture with a name like Abishad. Da, 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 da. And now introducing Miss Abishag, the Shunammite. But you know, it's a biblical name, so we'll go with it. Verse 18, and Bathsheba said, well, I will speak for thee unto the king. Now, this ought to tell you about the character of this guy. Why don't he man up and go to Solomon himself? What's he bothering Solomon's mama for? That's the way the enemy works. He's not going to just come right at you. He's afraid of you. You got the Holy Ghost. 
He's going to come around through a relative. He's going to come around through a friend. Oh, you used to be so much fun to party with. Come on, man, we're missing you. Just come out just one night. Come on, come out just, just one night. So Bathsheba, she goes and she talks to her son. And this is where we pick up the narrative in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her, bowed himself unto her, sat down on his throne, caused a seat to be set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say me not nay. That means don't tell me no. I'm your mother. And the king said unto her, ask on, my mother, for I will not say thee nay. Speak on, mama. I won't tell you no. And she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given unto Adonijah, thy brother, to wife. This is interesting to me. Bathsheba doesn't say, Adonijah asked me to ask you. She literally takes up his cause and asks it like it's her request. Folks, you got to be careful. Sometimes even your own relatives can work against you. you got to stick to the book. I don't care who it is. If they're trying to get you to leave the principles, the commandments, the teachings of the Word of God, they're in the wrong and God is right. And Solomon's got the right attitude. You can tell. He's honored his mom. He's bowed down. He's prepared a place for her. He's doing everything right. He said, I'm not going to say no. But when she asked this, thankfully, a red light went off. And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishai the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? In other words, you're going to ask for him to be the king next? We're going to stop the compromise. But you said, I'm still going to do this, and I'm still going to love that, and say, not my will, but thy will be done. You've got to kill Abishai. You've got to put it out. You've got to say, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. I'm telling you right now, if you don't kill, it will destroy your freedom in Christ. You got to make up in your mind. I'm giving everything to God. I'm going to lay it all on the altar. Because my question to you is, if we if we start, where does it stop? I know in the 21st century mindset, this seems a little harsh, but this is a biblical principle in our hearts and in our homes. Is this spirit of compromise? We should never fall prey to the tactics of the enemy by giving up a little ground here and a little ground there. And before long, you wonder how you got way over there.
If you don't draw a line and say, this is God's territory. I'm not going to let him in my house, not even a little bit. I'm not going to let him in my mind, not even a little bit. I'm not going to let him in my spirit, not even a little bit. I'm going to say that thing's got to die now because we can't build the temple. We can't be a direction and destroy God's plan and God's will. So you, there's a nature and you've got to say, God, I need you. I want you. I love you. And everything else dies. I know this is the age of compromise. But compromise should have no place in Christianity. How are we going to water down this message? How do we change the fact that Jesus died on a... You can't compromise your faith for your job, for your family, for your children, for your spouse. The spirit of compromising God for more convenient, more comfortable religion has to die. We're going to start saying you really don't have to repent? Are we going to really start teaching you really don't have to get baptized in the name of Jesus? Are we going to try to walk going to be a light that shineth in a dark place? I don't know, John has to die. Let me ask some of you husbands, I'm hurrying. Let me ask some of you husbands something. Would it work if you went to your wife and said, I just cheated a little. <laughs> I, should, I should at least get a witness from Then what makes us think we can compromise our relationship with God? And somehow there'll not be a consequence to it. It doesn't mean that God stops loving us. It means that. Let me give you a natural example. People that have stepped down on their spouses, they don't have much freedom anymore. They say, I'm going to go to the grocery store. Who are you going with? How long are you going to be there? Got track one to get a gallon of milk. Freedoms are curtailed. You go out to eat and you're like, I see some more Diet Coke. Oh, you were looking at her. We'll tell you how you have freedom. You stay true to each other. I'm going to tell you how you have real freedom, where you have real joy. You stay true to one another, and trust is developed, and trust grows, and you can be apart from each other, and you don't worry about the other one. You know why? Because you've got freedom. God wants to know, can he trust you? He's got freedoms for you. He's got blessings for you. He's got doors that'll open up. But can he trust you? Come on, lift up your voice. The Holy Ghost is speaking. The next one to go was Joab, a spirit of revenge. You're never going to have true freedom until you kill that spirit of revenge. David warned his son about Joab, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 5. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me 
what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel unto Abner, the son of Ner. That was a revenge death. He talked Abner into coming out of the city of refuge and while he had his arm around him, he slipped his dagger up under his fifth rib, killed him. He was captain of the host. It was revenge. Joab was a man of war. He was a man of revenge. And unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his whore head go down to the grave in peace. But I wasn't strong enough. Joab had won a lot of victories for Israel. You're going to have to deal with him. He said, don't let his whore head go down. Saul, but David was a bad dude. He's telling his son, those men that Joab killed were out of revenge. And he's saying he's got an angry spirit. I've come to tell somebody this right now. Revenge can sit very still in your spirit waiting for the right opportunity. And it's not always easy to recognize, but it'll show its true colors if you allow it to hang around. Now, I know there's people that's got wounded spirits, and I know there's people that are hurt, and you probably have been hurt by others, but you got to give it over to God. you got to turn it over to the Lord, because if you somebody's got to kill Joab. Somebody's got to say, not my will, but thy will be done. I give it over to God. I'm freedom, and I'm going to live in that freedom. Before we can get to God's promises, God's provision, and God's presence, we got to kill the spirit of revenge. God's promise was given to Solomon after he had Joab eliminated. God's provision was the great wisdom and financial blessing. The presence of God was the allowing of the temple to be built where he would dwell. And none of that came until Joab was dealt with. God has freedom for you, but you got to kill the spirit of compromise and you got to kill the spirit of revenge. The next guy to go was Shemaiah, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. And behold, thou... Here's another one David warns his son about. Thou hast with thee Shemaiah, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Behurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mananaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan. And I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore, hold him not guiltless. For thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his whorehead bring thou down to the grave with blood. I didn't do it, David. Was telling him, Solomon. But you're going to have to. 
Here's a third thing that has to die. A generational curse has got to die. It has no place on a child of God, and it has no place in the kingdom of God. And sometimes the enemy will try to convince people that they are trapped because of a generational curse. Well, your daddy was an alcoholic, so I guess I'm always going to be an alcoholic. Or I guess because my mom cheated that I'm going to cheat. No, you're not. You're your old person, and you're not under the bondage of a generational curse. It has been destroyed by the blood of Jesus. You ought to kill that thought in your mind right now. And you ought to say, I am more than an overcomer. I'm not under some spell. i got the freedom to make my own choices and to make my own way. And I've got a God that's given me a new life, a new way of walking, and a new way of thinking. Stand to your feet. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, it's time to kill that fear. It's time to kill that curse. You can't be saved. Anybody can be saved. Jesus. Before the temple was built, before the presence of God took up residence in that house, some things had to die, some doors had to shut so that the freedom of God's perfect will could manifest. Yes, Yes, under David, Israel was something special. But under Solomon, it became the most powerful nation on earth. Yes, there came a time when David should die. That that door would close. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you are holding on to some doors. And you can feel they're slipping and you've held on to them for so long. You fear what life would be without that door. I've come to give you hope and life through the principles of God's word that there's a greater, I said there's a greater day. There's a greater freedom. There's more opportunity. God is telling you, don't look back. Look forward. Open the door that you think is a dead end. Open the door that you think is a closet. Open it up and see what God has for you. We want the temple. Jesus, Jesus.
In the name of Jesus. I'm asking you right now, if you would turn this entire building into an altar, if you're more comfortable praying in your pew, would you lift your hands and your voice right now? The altar is open if you want to come. But there's some things that's got to die. Come on, there's some commitments that's got to be made. If you want the temple of God's presence, his protection, his provision to be built in our lives and in our homes. Come on, we got a war against the flesh. We got to destroy the desires of our flesh. Come on, it's time to build the temple. It's time to turn this house into a house of praise. It's time to kill any attitude that would hinder you from receiving the freedom of God's presence.
I'm yours, God. I'm yours and yours alone, God. My life is not my own. My life is not my own. Say, my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own.